And when you scan through the early centuries, first century, second, third, there were great persecutions, and then arose the heresies. What Rome could not do by martyrdom, the devil sought to do by heresies, dividing the church by these false doctrines. And obviously, these are warnings to prepare for them. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher, and we're thankful for the opportunity to preach again the message of the cross. And we're going to Hebrews chapter 13, a stable Christian, one that is in covenant with Christ. What a great word that is, covenant. It speaks of two parties, absolute firm terms that are secured and guaranteed. And that's the standing of the Christian. And of course, by the death of the Lord Jesus, everything was secured when he paid the price of redemption in and with his own blood. So rejoice, rejoice, O Christian. Believe the gospel news. Jesus saves sinners, and he will bring us home to glory. Stay tuned now as we let the Bible speak. Now to our passage tonight, to the book of Hebrews, and we're looking at this segment, verses 9 through 16. How to be a stable Christian. That really is the theme that comes out of these verses. And you can see right off the, uh, the challenge that is made. Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines. And so, uh, there is the challenge on how to be strong and stable, not shifting, not blown about with every wind of doctrine, but truly standing fast. Now, we referred to verse 8 as the Gibraltar text, uh, the rock, the stable, the sure, the certain, the immovable. Verse 9, we can liken to a raging sea, because there is the danger of being tossed about. You may have heard of the Canadian uh, rescue of those vessels in the middle of the Atlantic, some 1,600 kilometers from Newfoundland, right in the middle of the Atlantic, in a massive storm, winds of 130 kilometers, and waves that were 15 meters high, that's about 40-something feet, uh, higher than this church, high as a four-story building, and that wall of water coming at these little yachts that were on some kind of a race across the Atlantic, and they were seriously caught in that storm. Well, tonight the church of the Lord Jesus is also in the midst of a storm. There are forces that are coming against the church of the Lord that could shake her terribly. And there is reason why you and I need to take this subject to heart of how to be a stable Christian. In the context of this passage, the apostle was preparing God's people for horrendous opposition to the church. 
And when you scan through the early centuries, first century, second, third, there were great persecutions, and then arose the heresies. What Rome could not do by martyrdom, the devil sought to do by heresies, dividing the church by these false doctrines. And obviously, these are warnings to prepare for them. And so, these verses 9 to 16, when you look at them carefully, you will see that they are stepping stones to prepare each of us to be stable and strong for the Lord. I think the great need in our age is stickability. I'm going to make that my key word tonight, stick-at-it attitude. Those who get on board for the gospel and stay the course. There are too many who are carried about. They flip and they flop, and we fear that many will feel. And the stats tell us that there are not many that do the same thing for very long. And that applies to pastors, elders, deacons, various workers in the Lord's church. People get weary, and they want to get out of service so very quickly. So, tonight we're going to take a look at the subject, how to become a stable Christian. Now, I have to take note of my audience here tonight because I don't see an unstable Christian in, in sight. I don't see anyone that I'm concerned about as a pastor that you are about to take a nosedive and go the wrong direction. So, we're going to keep this in context. We're going to keep this in the uh, year in which it was written and the generation in which it was written. And, of course, there are things that we can apply to our hearts as well. Firstly, avoid strange doctrines that lead to instability. Be not carried about with divers strange doctrines. It has been well said that the cults are the unpaid bills of the church. Where the church fails to minister sound doctrine, people get swept away into the errors of the cultish leaders of the day. And modernism always thrives where the church ministry fails to preach solid, sound, and safe doctrine. And there is a real need for God's people in every generation to be well-grounded in the essential doctrines of the gospel. And these uh, doctrines that are mentioned here they are referred to as divers and strange. The word strange is alien. They're foreign. They're, they're not even close to the mark. They are things that are totally off and irrelevant. And when ministries get caught up in things that are non-essential, then the truth often suffers. What are the things that cause instability? One is church hopping. People who never put down roots, and whether it's from dead orthodoxy, Pentecostalism, charismatics, 
to Reformed churches and then seeking more Reformed churches, there's always people that just don't dig in. They don't get settled in any particular church ministry. They're on the move. They are good observers, good analysts. They go from ministry to ministry, but they don't get really settled. And it's like a tree that gets replanted every few months. Yes, those roots want to grow, but they don't grow very deep. And you will have people who may be saved for years and have been listening to all kinds of ministries, and they know a lot, but their roots don't go down very deep. Another problem is issue following. There are certain ministers and there are certain people that seem to get on a hobby horse, and it's like beating the same drum at every opportunity. And it wouldn't matter where you open the Bible. Ah, there's that issue again. And they've got to always hammer that particular issue. And on that score, I want to recommend to you tonight a book, one that is in our library. Well, I actually loaned it out today, but I want you to take an opportunity to uh, look at this book. The title of it is, What is a Reformed Church? by the author Malcolm Watts. Now, if you want to read your own copy speedily, you can get it on Kindle. It'll cost you about $7 on Kindle. But the chapter headings are, first of all, the distinctives of a Reformed church. Now, for those who have never studied the Catechism or the Westminster Confession of Faith, or who have been in churches that don't have confessions, we call those non confessional churches. They don't really have a detailed written statement of faith. Well, some of them might have 10 things, 10 sentences, and that's about it. But where the doctrines of God's Word are not well clarified, it leads to problems. And one of the characteristics of a Reformed church is that it lays it out. Word for word, doctrine for doctrine. The next one is the great emphasis on Reformed doctrine. Now, for you to be a stable Christian, I would be of the mind that you need to know what that is. You need to know what Reformed doctrine is. You need to know what it is that makes us preachers of the gospel. Some people think Reformed doctrine is just so intellectual that it's a way up, you know, it's some kind of rocket science that it's way out of any man's normal spectrum. But it really is the method of preaching the gospel, the covenant of grace, one gospel from the Garden of Eden after the fall right to the end of time. The same gospel that Isaiah preached, Paul the apostle preached. Jesus did not come to establish an earthly kingdom, and he did not fail. His death on the cross was not failure. It was the eternal plan of God from all eternity. He was the lamb slain from all eternity. And that is the heart of the gospel that we preach. 
and it defines God's sovereignty in man's salvation, and it defines how we should present that in our proclamation of the gospel. The next chapter is the government of the church, and that's an area that, well, why do we do things the way we do? Why do we not just do it differently and change it next month and do it differently the month again, create a bit of variety? Surely variety is the spice of life. And then you end up with all kinds of innovations. And people say, well, I don't like it that way. I like it the other way. And it creates problems in churches. So why do we do what we do and the way we do it? There's a good chapter on that. Then there is Reformed Church Discipline, and really that's the pastoral part where you care for people that are struggling and those that may fall and slip. How do you minister to the fallen brother or sister that needs pastoral care? And that is a very important part as well. The next one is uh, Reformed Evangelism, and there is also one on worship. So I missed that in, in chapter 3. A right view of worship. And I would say that the whole book is worth it for that one chapter. The right view of worship. And I just noted here one little statement that sums it up. In worship, our intention should be to give and not to get. We come to give to God not to see what we get. We don't come to church as consumers. We come as servants to offer and give glory unto the Lord. And if we apply that to our worship, then, of course, that will keep us safe. So that brings us to the subject of innovation in uh, the things of the church. Innovation is never a good thing. Now, that doesn't apply in the business world. Business world's all about innovation, new ideas, new ways, new plans and schemes, and make them work. And some people are very adept in that kind of leadership. But in the Church of Christ, we're not in the program of the newest thing, the newest way to do it more efficiently in man's power and wisdom. No, in the Lord's church, church, God has given us a pattern. Now, whether you go back to Moses' time, the tabernacle. The tabernacle, its design was revealed to Moses, and he was to make the tabernacle according to pattern. And if you go on your concordance and look up the word pattern— you will see it comes up again and again in relation to the temple and the materials that were used, the dimensions of the structure, the sacrifices that were called for, the uh, animals that were to be brought, how the blood was to be presented. Everything was according to pattern. When you get to the temple, it is just a more permanent arrangement of what the tent tabernacle was, but the temple was also given to Solomon by pattern, the dimensions, the materials, the gold, the silver, the utensils, the furniture, and the offerings that were to be brought. It was by pattern. Now, when you get to the New Testament, it's no different either. 
you will find that the apostles did not lead in worship in a variety of ways. They sought to lead in a biblical fashion. So, what did they do in the New Testament? Preaching, letter reading, that is the inspired letters. And you will find the book of Colossians is named that when they read that letter in that church, they were to circulate it that it be read in the other churches. And so the apostolic letters, which are now in our New Testament, they were to be read, circulated around, and read in those churches. There was also prayer, and there was a ministry to the poor. And in those days, there was no social network, and it was a work for deacons that they would care for the poor. Idols were thrown out. 1 Thessalonians 1, idols were out. Anything that had been consecrated to idols were out. The world was out. The love of pride was out. Humility was in. The fear of God was in. The gospel of Christ and his grace, grace, all that was in. And that was the theme of the ministry of that New Testament church. And that leads me to verse 9, or point 2. Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace. And it is grace and an understanding of grace that leads to stability. False doctrines, innovations, all of those things will not lead to stability. They will toss the church back and forth in disagreement. But grace, and you'll notice that it's grace in the heart. Now, let's read this very carefully. It's a little bit technical, but you'll, you'll get it. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats. Meats there would refer to Judaism, their ceremonies, their festivities, their offerings that were brought to God. This is a letter to Hebrews, Hebrew converts. And the apostle is writing here saying, it is a good thing to be that the heart be established with grace, but not with meats. And the Hebrew would have looked for the visual, the things that could be seen, the things that they could look at that were tangible. These meats, these offerings, well, you could touch them, you could smell them, you could see them. Some of them, you could hear them. The animals, when they were brought to be slaughtered, you could hear the animals. And you can imagine when they are being slaughtered, the ball of the, uh, the bullock or the calf or the lamb that is being slaughtered right close to the, the temple. Those were, were, were senses in the mind of the Jew. And those senses were very real. 
They were visual. They were tangible. They could, they could relate to them as the way to worship God. But grace in the heart, well, that is unseen. That is intangible, abstract. But nevertheless, it is the very thing that the New Testament Christian is to be well established in, that we are saved by grace. Now, the Lord Jesus taught that the kingdom has come without observation. He likened grace to leaven, and leaven that goes to work is not easily seen. Nevertheless, it changes the life. It sets, grace sets men free from the bondage of sin. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. It is a sovereign God in his infinite mercy saying to a hell-deserving sinner, you are free from the guilt of sin, and I pronounce you just justified, set free from all sin. listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher, and today again we're looking at the cross of Christ, wherein we might miss the cross. And that's my concern. There are multitudes that know about the death of the Lord Jesus. They know something of the date, the time, the facts of Jesus' death. But how many people know the doctrine or the meaning of the death of the Son of God upon that Roman gibbet. You may miss the cross if you fail to grasp the concept of double transfer. That is, the transfer of our guilt to Christ, and the transfer of Christ's perfections to believers. This is called double imputation. It is a simple concept— but foreign to our human reasoning. Therefore, it needs to be laid down again and again as the foundation of the gospel. Its premise is really in the transfer of Adam's guilt to all of his offspring. The guilt of original sin, or the personal sin transacted by Adam, is passed to his offspring, and that from generation to generation. This is the imputation of Adam's sin to all sinners in the world. Now Jesus, being the second Adam, stands in the place of his people, and his victory, the fruit of his obedience, are passed to them. His righteousness, or good works, including the fruit from the obedience of his death, is transferred or imputed to those who believe on Christ's person and work. It is this blessing of double transfer that brings the power of the cross, 
down to the believer's life. Our sins are laid on Jesus, and his obedience is transferred to us. Though we have sinned and therefore are guilty before God, we are treated as perfectly holy or righteous because all the worth of Jesus' obedience is gifted to us. Oh, how sweet is this to the soul of sinners! Oh, what peace and joy to the soul! As Romans 5, 1, which sums up the blessedness of this, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you rest in that? Can you take that to heart today and accept that when you call on the Lord to be your Savior, your sins, all the guilt to your personal account, are transferred to the body, the person of the Lord Jesus, and he suffered for those sins in his body upon the cross. But then also his perfections, his obedience and the fruit of his obedience are all given to your account so that you stand before God holy, made right and righteous in his sight. The hymn writer said, Long ago I saw my Savior bearing shame upon a tree. Then my heart was touched with sorrow, for I saw he bled for me. It is finished loud, he cried, Oh, what love for me he died. In my stead he bled on Calvary. Once for all Christ rescued me. There lies the hope, the confidence of the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful thing to be a Christian, and what a wonderful thing to have this wonderful hope in this world, through life, unto death, and on the judgment day, that my sins were laid on Jesus, and all his obedience is gifted now to me and to my account. So I stand righteous, perfect, ready for heaven, having all the good works, the merits of the Lord Jesus to my account. That's the hope. That's the confidence of the child of God. And so I trust you will take this to heart and call on the Lord to be your Savior and lay your sins on Jesus. listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived 
by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca, CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Mm-hmm.